Good evening. Welcome to our Sunday evening assembly for worship, for learning, for mutual encouragement. As we praise God, listen to him speak to us through the written word. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, please. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. John is a New Testament writer who is known for very straight talk, uncomplicated statements and instructions given by God through John for our serious attention today. Listen to this in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I think it's a good practice in your Bible reading and Bible study when you read a passage, a paragraph, a section, to see if you can locate the main idea. And one main idea in this passage is, do not love the world. And that is what we call a prohibition, a prohibitive statement. Don't do this. Do not love the world. Now, what is John talking about? He isn't talking about the physical universe, about trees and rocks and dirt and all that. He isn't talking about people who occupy the physical universe. We are to love all men. John is talking about all the attitudes, tendencies, trending cultural systems, all the sin, the fake fads, everything antagonistic to God. If you could take everything antagonistic to God and put that in one package you could put a label on that package and call it the world. And here's a very simple point that John makes in what we've read. If you love the world, John says, you cannot also love the Father. And that implies choice. Will it be God or will it be that package of those things antagonistic to God? You cannot also love the Father if you are in love with the world. Perhaps it is considered by many people to be way too dogmatic. Maybe it's considered by people in the world who live in the world and by the world an overstatement. Here's what we believe it is. It's a God statement. No matter if people call it an overstatement, we call it, we regard it, a God statement. The world, the culture around us, the trends, the attitudes, the attachments, the norms are not worthy of our love. God 
is. Listen again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John breaks this down for us. And so we're going to look at what John says about this package, this package of everything that is uh, antagonistic to God, the world. The world is where pride lives. John wants to put us on alert to what he calls the pride of life. It is written like that in the King James and the New King James and the Revised Standard Version. Some of you, I think, have the New American Standard where it says the boastful pride of life. And the NIV says the boasting of what man has and what man does. And that helps us understand what kind of pride John is talking about. And the world is where pride lives. Pride is part of that package, the kind of boasting that John speaks of here. Now, in our use of that word, our modern use of the word pride, there are several different layers And some of the layers of our use of that word are neutral. In sports, for example, competition can become good motivation if accompanied by what we call good sportsmanship. In our economy, competition in business and politics is a reality. In our family dynamics, we are proud when our children arrive at good achievements, and we are proud of our grandchildren. Sometimes you'll notice back here in the lobby the exchange of photos on the phone from the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. So that's a level of pride that pertains to our modern use of the word. In the Bible, there is a level, a layer of pride and boasting and rivalry that we cannot adopt, we cannot accept and allow in our minds and our lives because it's a part of this package of things antagonistic to God. So winning, no matter the people we hurt or the ill-conceived methods we adopt would be a part of this. Boasting, Claiming to be superior, to exalt ourselves, to think of ourselves more highly than we should. In the world, in this package of things antagonistic to God, that's common. It is common in the world. It's identified in the Bible as evil, as sinful, and therefore we cannot accept it. There is a lust for advantage over others. That is a driving force in the world. There is a lust for advantage over others. That is a driving force in the world. You see it on the news every day. To people who are servants of the world, that package of things antagonistic to God, What God says in his word and what Jesus exemplified in his life just gets in the way of their purposes and their ambitions 
to defeat others, to claim victory, to brag and boast of their talent, and to aggressively pursue the advertising of their success compared to those they've defeated. The world is where pride lives. This, this arrogance, this boasting ends when you die. All of the boasting and arrogance of men in the world ends when they die, and then we all face the Father who didn't listen to all of that boasting, or who, it might be said, listened to it, but didn't approve of it. He wasn't impressed by it. And the Christ who considered that our way of life ought to be in alignment with him, not the world, that package of evil. The boastful pride of life, I think that's a good translation, the boastful pride of life can lead us to eternal loss. It can lead us away from God now. Jay Bowman wrote about pride one time when he said, Pride starts with an exaggerated view of yourself. It proceeds to a self-serving comparison with others and a devaluation of them. And then eventually to condemnation and contempt and ridicule. It results in emotional and physical injury. Pride toward man is evil. Pride toward God is worse. The world around us is where this kind of pride lives. It's part of that package of those things that are antagonistic to God. Secondly, the world is where the eyes tempt us. John describes a very specific avenue of temptation, the lust of the eyes. When it comes to destructive thoughts and sinful behavior, the devil wants to get started with putting those things in our mind, sometimes simply visually, by simply looking. Maybe we don't have to jump into sin blindly and impulsively and immediately. First, if the devil can get us to take a look. Even if we turn away at first, the devil is counting on us looking back again. His aim is that the visual will become a part of our thought processes and the thought processes will take root there and will continue and become intent and action just with a look. The devil can turn us away from God and destroy us eternally. We taught our children that song, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. We never knew 50 years ago when we started teaching that song to our children how absolutely applicable it would be today with all the visual and video content that's thrown onto the devices of our children. Be careful, little eyes, 
what you see. But I tell you what else. That's for adults too. The devil wants the visual to become the mental and then take root in intention and become action. But even if it doesn't become action, it's wrong at that level of thought and attention. Intention. Here's an example. Matthew 5, 28, the words of Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, just the look with that kind of a thought process attached to it, even if it never becomes active, the devil has you exactly where he wants you to be. And in our society, the best illustration of this is what I've alluded to earlier, the video advertisements and TV commercials. I mentioned this in a class not long ago in 1 Peter. We've all seen on the television screen, and now we have huge screens so we can see all the details. We've all seen those absolutely beautiful cheeseburgers. Moist, perfectly put together. They never look that way when you open the wrapper at the store. They're perfectly put together and the camera rotates around that magnificent juicy sandwich. Perhaps as I speak of it, you formed some intention or taste in your mind and maybe that's where you're going to decide to go after we dismiss. See, the devil is genius in his marketing ability. Not about cheeseburgers, but about that whole package of things. Antagonistic to God, the world. The eye, somebody said one time, is the channel into the soul. And the visual can lead us right where the devil wants us to be. The world is where the lust of the eyes tempt. Never deceive yourself into thinking that you can look at sin and maintain neutrality and not be tempted. At first, when you look at sin, perhaps in a movie, at first when you look at sin being conducted, it may arouse some disgust. But as you continue looking what happens your defenses eventually begin to break down. And there can be a loss of character. The world is where the lust of the eyes tempt. And the world is where lust in general takes people away from God. The lust of the flesh. I was around in the 1960s, when the sexual revolution found a prominent place in American culture, part of that package of things antagonistic to God. At that particular time in our culture, young people who were engaged in their immorality in the dark decided to come out into the light and advertise it, speak boldly of their inordinate desires and take their clothes off and in courage, promiscuity, 
and label it love with claims of freedom from purity. And that movement in our culture reaped a whirlwind of consequences that we can still observe around us. Disappointment, disease, children without two parents, families torn apart, women abused and men used. And one motto of that era was, if it feels good, do it. You know what that's called in the Bible? The lust of the flesh that takes people away from God. And there's something that now is a part of that that we don't like to talk about. We may want to sweep it under the carpet, but we have to face it, and that's pornography. The inspired writers of the Bible didn't like to expose sin, calling out those whose perverse habits provoke God's wrath. They didn't like writing about things that were evil and wrong, but they knew the good of it to identify it and attempt to take us away from it. Today, pornography is a real problem, so easy to access. We are back to that screen now. So easy to access with a computer or cable TV or your phone. Children are being used and hurt. It isn't limited to young men. It isn't limited to men. And it is what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh. Paul tells us to walk by the Spirit. And we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Through the written word the Spirit gave us. We have the power to discipline ourselves and make better choices and steer a course away from impurity and degradation. So in the world, there is this driving force of selfish pride and boasting. There is the lust of the eyes. There's the lust of the flesh. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't love all of it and don't love any of it. If it is pride, looking at what you shouldn't allow through your eyes into your mind or indulgence that fulfills the lust of the flesh, if it feels good, do it. John's warning should always have our attention. No matter your experience, your level of Bible knowledge and maturity, your age, John's warning should always have our attention. And here's the conclusion he draws. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What do you want to be attached to? The temporal or the permanent? What we hear about, what we see, what seems to be attractive in the world, John says, it's all passing away. Along with its desires. Now, look at it from the standpoint of common sense. Does it make good common sense to attach yourself to something that isn't good for you? that takes you away from God, and that doesn't last. 
It isn't good for us. It takes us away from God and it is temporary. It's all passing away. This whole package of things antagonistic to God in whole or in part, it's all going away. Why not attach yourself to what is permanent? John says the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We should put this warning sign up in our minds. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is simple. John makes it so simple. God makes it so simple. I cannot love the world and love God at the same time in the same heart. James wrote of this as well in James 4 and verse 4. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And let me add this. I think we who come to a Sunday evening service may be tempted to think that we cannot be reached or corrupted by the world. We come to all the services. We read our Bibles. We are the people who do daily Bible reading. We can't be reached or corrupted by the world. We understand these avenues of temptation. We read about this and studied this long ago. And the devil at this point in our experience and maturity cannot reach us in these ways today or in the future. That's exactly what the devil wants every one of us to think. He wants us to drive home tonight thinking this doesn't apply to me. I have such discipline, such spiritual knowledge and strength and activity. This doesn't apply to me. He wants us all to believe that, that we cannot be reached in all of these ways or any of these ways. Let's not let him deceive us about that. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's be standing while we sing.